and troubled No light in the darkness you see There's light for a look at the Savior And life more abundant and free Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> some of those simple old songs are some powerful songs, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Boy, Galatians chapter 6, we're going to just read one verse today, verse 15. There we read, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, 
but a new creature. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Now, in the book of Acts, we are given a history of the early church. And we're also given a history of the transition from the Old to the New Testament. We're given a transition from the law to grace and from God primarily dealing with Israel to dealing with Gentiles. And uh, this was a transition that took a number of years, mind you. When we read it in the New Testament or we read about it, it kind of goes pretty quick. I mean, uh, you know, there's only so many chapters in the entire Bible, 1189, I believe, and uh, there's only so many books, 66, and sometimes we read through some of the verses and we kind of fly right through them and we go, boy, that was fast. And so through the book of Acts, we see this transition taking place and we note this, uh, this change starting to take place and take root in the early church. Now, because it took so long, of course, uh, along the way, there was a number of battles. And the Judaizers were a group of Jews that sought to keep the law in force. And they, they, they even taught Gentiles that in order to, uh, that they must submit to the law. And in order to even be saved, they have to abide by and follow the law and continue to live by the law. And those were the Judaizers. They said, listen, if you want to truly be saved, if you want to know the Lord, then you have to also keep the Ten Commandments. You have to follow the law of God. That's where the word legalism comes from, mind you. That's where legalism comes from. Inserting works into salvation. Now, that's what was taking place in this transition. Because we're now going from dealing with Israel to dealing with the church. We're going from law to grace. And as a result of that, there's a lot of misunderstanding. And God, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ died on a cross. He was buried and he rose again. And ultimately, he sent his Holy Spirit the day of Pentecost to indwell in power and to truly uh, enable us to live the Christian life. However, again, there's a transition taking place. So there are those that are still confused about what we should be doing, how we should continue to live, and what, what really makes the difference. Well, the Apostle Paul is addressing some of that along the way here. And in the book of Galatians, that's exactly what he'd been dealing with in Galatia. Because there had been some Judaizers that stepped up. Some people that walked in on the scene and began to try to confuse the people of God. Even these Gentiles. See, salvation is not keeping a set of rules or regulations. But it's accepting by faith the finished work of Jesus Christ and His payment on Calvary for our sin. Paul expresses the true motivation of these false teachers earlier in the chapter. Chapter 6 of Galatians. Turn, well you're already there, look at verse 12 and 13. He goes on to say, As many as desire to make a fair shoe in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Now understand that under the law, a man was to be circumcised. That was something he had to do. That was a Jewish, uh, 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 a a um, a right of the Jewish uh, of the Jew, and so it was assigned to the Jew even. And as a result of that, so uh, he was separated unto God and unto God's service. He was God's people, and circumcision identified that. So under the law, it was required that young men be circumcised. So when the Bible talks about those of the circumcision, it's talking about Jews. It's talking about those. Old Testament, so to speak, Jewish uh, Jewish believers even. And then on into the New Testament, those that of the circumcision would be Jews again. 
Now, if you're not of the circumcision, then you're a Gentile. So, you know, you have Jew and Gentile. We know now, as we look back, we see that not only was there Jew and Gentile, but as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on Calvary, there's a new group that exists. The church. See, the world was only divided into two two groups of people all along. Jew and Gentile. But then all of a sudden, Christ comes along, dies on Calvary, sheds His blood, provides us an opportunity for Jew and Gentile to become one in Christ. Now there's the church. You are either a Jew, Gentile, or the church of Christ. So that's what Paul's dealing with. And here are the men now he's talking about. Here are their real motivation for trying to keep these Gentiles under the law. He says, let me tell you why they're really doing this. Let me tell you what their real goal, their real motivation is for keeping you under the law. Even though you're in Christ. Saved by the blood of Christ. Saved by grace through faith. Here it is. As many as desire to make a fair shoe in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. You say, what's that all mean? Well, let me just say it this way. These men, he says, will compel you to be circumcised because they're afraid of what their unsaved peers and colleagues would say if they didn't. That's the first point. See, he says, listen, the reason why they're so adamant about you being circumcised as a Gentile is because some of their Jewish unsaved, unsaved Jewish brethren of their flesh, mind you, not salvation, but brethren of the flesh, they're unsaved Jews now. They, 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 they're looking at them going, okay, are you going to make them keep the law? And they're saying, well, I don't want to have to deal with, you know, people talking bad about me. I don't want anybody... You know, pointing fingers at me. So I'm concerned. I'm afraid of what they're going to say to me, my colleagues, my peers, if I don't require and demand that Gentiles get circumcised. And then he goes on to say that they wouldn't dare to stand for the cause of Christ or the cross itself themselves. I mean, they're not willing to take a stand and say, listen, salvation is by grace through faith. I don't know if you understand that or not. I've tried to explain it to you, but the fact is I can't change it. That's God's method. That's God's way. I'm going to go ahead and do what God says. No, they won't do that, he says. These men, he says, who compel you to keep the law, they themselves do not keep it. Nor can they. I mean, the law was not put into place to keep it in order to get to heaven. There's not one person on earth that can keep the Ten Commandments or the law of God and live a perfect life and a perfect standard. None of us can. We're all in the same boat. We're sinners, and that's all there is to it. And the law just continues to reaffirm that and continues to reinforce that in our life. It just proves it over and over and over again that we are miserable sinners and unable to overcome sin in our own selves. And he says, these very men, these Judaizers that are telling you Gentiles here in Galatia that you must be circumcised, you must follow the law of God, you must keep the rules and regulations of the Old Testament, They don't even keep them, nor can they. But instead, they glory or they boast in converting you to their way. What he's saying is basically this. You are simply another notch on their spiritual gun belt. They've converted you to their thinking, their way. Look, I got me another few Gentiles that are keeping the law. Praise God. But the law doesn't save anyone. It doesn't save anyone. It was in this setting that the Apostle Paul shares our text of verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, 
neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. Whether you're circumcised or you're not, it doesn't matter. That's what he says. But a new creature. That's what he said. He said, okay, for, you know, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. A new creature is what matters. That's the main goal. That's the real issue. Now, again, let's not, be, let's not misunderstand where we're going here. You know, there seems to be a trend in Christianity today, an alarming trend in my mind, of an emphasis of grace and a rejection of moral truth and moral law. We, we have to be real careful. Because, see, when God, speaks of, when God speaks of the law and God speaks of grace, there is a great contrast, obviously. But we've lost sight of what the balance is at times. And I, I want us to be careful. Over in the book of, of, um, of uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 14, we're going to see that throughout the ages that the Lord required holiness for His people, whether it's in the Old or whether it's in the New Testament. That hasn't changed a bit. And so we can't remove ourselves from that. We can't say, well, because salvation is not of the law, because salvation isn't a set of rules and regulations, because salvation is not something we have to work for or earn in any way, therefore we can live however we want, still go to heaven, everything's cool. That's, that's not what the Bible's ever taught. God's never taught that. Without a doubt, there's nothing you can do to get to heaven. It's all grace through faith. Plus or minus nothing, obviously. Anything else than that is legalism. But what we're going to talk about is not legalism. It's called holiness. Now watch what he says over in the book of Deuteronomy 14.2 in the Old Testament, mind you. He goes and says to the people of God, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. No doubt about it, God expected the children of Israel, his chosen people, to be different, unusual, separated from all the rest. They should take a different place in the world, not only uh, politically, not only practically, but also spiritually. He goes on in Leviticus 20, 26. And ye, ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. I have served you from other, uh, I have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. I've separated you from other people. You're not like everybody else. You're different. You're unique. You're special. You say, well, you know what? Everybody's special, preacher. That really is unsettling to me. Are you saying that God felt that the people of God in his day, Israel, was, was different, that they were special compared to the other nations, that God somehow loved them more? I don't know if God loved them more, but God definitely severed them, he said. Separated them from the others. And he showed them favor as they obeyed him. But the Bible says that when they failed to obey him, then he came down on them. So I guess he was pretty much fair, if you ask me. But see, this idea, this thought of separation, this idea of being unusual, peculiar, according to the Old Testament, is also interjected in the New Testament over in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Notice this now. It is carried over from old to new. It's, there's no difference. It's not like, well, that was Old Testament to be peculiar. 
to be different from the rest of the world, to, to be separated unto the Lord and to be visibly different. That, 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 that's legalism. No, we already define legalism. Legalism is when you try to insert works into salvation. This is called holiness and Bible living. Notice what it says here in 1 Peter 2.9. Here it is now. But ye... Who's he talking to now? Old Testament saints? No, he's talking to New Testament saints. He's in 1 Peter now. We're not even in the Gospels, of which we know that until the death of the testator, we were still in the Old Testament. We understand that. We are all the way in the New Testament now. We're dealing with believers in Christ, saved by the blood of Christ like you and I are. Notice he says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that something? So, so again, this thing of holiness and peculiarity and separation from the world is not something that is an Old Testament teaching. It's also carried over into the New Testament. God expects us to be that way because he is that way. And we are his people. There were three types of law given by God to Israel. One, there was civil law. The civil law dealt with societal order, keeping order, speeding tickets, things like that. You got a speed limit, right? You got to keep society in order. The next law was ceremonial law. That law dealt with the religious order or practice. And so there were some rites and involved in religion. There were some acts and things that took place in, in serving the Lord and honoring Christ and worshiping Him. He said, here's how I want you to worship me. And then there was the moral law. The moral law we could pretty much sum up in ten commandments. Moral. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. Anybody says, well, yeah, but those are dead and gone. That was Old Testament. Now we're free, we're in Christ, we have liberty, where once we were under the bondage and enslavement of the law. Absolutely. The latter part, we are in bondage and enslavement to the law. Yes. But the moral law is a law that we're going to find did not disappear or go away in the New Testament. Ceremonial law, gone. Societal law, eh. Society kind of sets their own laws. We notice they're doing that right now, right? right? Right, wrong, or indifferent. They're still doing it. But hold on a second. There is a moral law. Wait, this moral law, you say, wait a second. So you're telling me the Ten Commandments, i got to live by them? Well, let's let God tell us what we have to live by, right? It makes good sense, right? In the New Testament, do you realize that of the Ten Commandments, nine of them are restated in the New Testament? You realize that? That believers are to keep nine of those ten. Oh, we're not to keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's on, that, would be, that would be Saturday, right? And, and we have uh, folks that believe that's important to this day. I, I trust and I hope that they believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. Because if they do, and then they're probably just wrong on what day they're worshiping. And I hope that's where they stand, okay? Now, again, I don't know their heart. I don't know where they're at. That's fine. That's their business. But what I do know is if they've trust and received Christ and trust only Him to get them to heaven, guess what they are? They're still saved. They just got this Saturday thing all mixed up. Okay? Now, now I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. I'm just saying, you know, that's their, their deal. Hey, listen, I'm sure I got a few things mixed up. I'm sure I got a few things that aren't going to be... I'll get to heaven one day and the Lord will probably say, Hey, by the way, I just want you to know... Yeah, yeah. And I'll be like... Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I figured that. I never did think I was perfect, so I figured there's a few things you'd have to set me straight on, Lord. 
So I'm not going to get all that shit about all that. But, but here's the thing. That there's nine of those ten commandments that were restated. Nine of the ten. You say, well, where are they? Well, thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you take the time, you don't, we don't have the time. We're not going to do it now because that's not the purpose of the message. You can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4 through 6. You'll see it's restated there. You see that we're not to have idols in our life, just like he said in the second command in, in the book of Exodus chapter 20 and the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5. The same law there in the Old Testament restated, 1 John five twenty one, Not to use God's name in vain, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. By the way, that's not just using it as a cuss word, by the way. You have to understand that. Do you realize that you're using, we're using God's name in vain when we profess to be Christians and we don't act like it? That, that's using God's name in vain. Nonetheless, we move on. Honor and obey your parents. Guess what? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. There it is, restated again for us. Plain, black and white in the Word of God. Then, the Bible goes on in Romans chapter 13, verse 9 to list five of them. It goes on to tell us not to be murderers, adulterers, to steal, to, to false, be false witnesses, or to covet. Those are five of the ten right there in one verse. Restated in the New Testament. Nine, nine, count them now, not eight, nine, nine of them are restated in the New Testament, which means or says to me that God's still pretty, pretty serious about the moral law, even though we're in the New Testament. I didn't say the moral law gets you into heaven. I'm just saying he's pretty concerned about the moral law once you're on your way. That's, that's the way he implies it here in the, in the New Testament. So, the Bible says in Romans 6, 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because we know we're saved now, because we know we're on our way to heaven, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? So that grace can really show itself real in our life and in the world's eyes. Look, I'm on my way to heaven and I'm committing adultery. Look, I'm on my way to heaven and I'm still getting drunk. Look, I'm on my way to heaven and I still party like the world. Look at the grace of God. How could anything but grace get me to heaven the way I live? You'd say, that's ludicrous. That's ridiculous. And yet we'll say things like, well, I can go ahead and go to a bar and have a drink as a believer. It's no big deal. I, so my language isn't exactly what it ought to be, but nah, it's no big deal. I'm saved by grace. This has nothing to do with, I mean, that has nothing to do with, with God's grace. And, and that's all that matters to God is grace. And he knows my heart. He knows I still love him, even though I cuss up a storm. Really? You mean the moral law doesn't matter anymore? Oh, well, okay, so I, I, I cheat on my taxes, and I break the speed limit, and I do all those things. Whoa, wait a second. Okay, because we're no longer under the law, it's okay to break moral and maybe even some of the civil laws. Even though in the chapter 13 of the book of Romans, he restates again that we're to obey those that are in authority over us. Therefore, he just took the societal law. <laughs> wait a second. That, that, that's interesting, isn't it? That means he, he just took that, that civil law and said, guess what you get to keep as a New Testament believer? Civil law too now. Isn't that something? So you can't break the civil law and be right with God because he tells you not to do that in the New Testament. That's not for Old Testament believers. That's New Testament believers. He doesn't tell you to... to he, you can't break the moral law because he doesn't just tell the Old Testament you have to do that. He tells the New Testament. Here's the difference. The Old Testament kept the law for a reason. We keep the law for a reason. You know what we do with the law? We try to live up to a standard. Doesn't mean we can, but we do our best. Why? Because we're already on our way to heaven. We do it to please God. We do it to honor our God. We do it because of what he's already done for us. It has nothing to do with getting us to heaven. 
And the Apostle Paul is dealing with that over in the book of, uh, the book of Galatians. He's got these Judaizers running around saying, guess what? You're not saved, sir. You know why you're not saved? Because you're not circumcised. You want to know why you're not saved? Because you're not keeping the law. He says, but I've trusted Christ. I've received the Lord. I've only trusted him and him only have I trusted. That's not enough. You've got to add works to it. You've got to do this and do this and do this and do this in order to be saved. And Paul's saying, nah. Biblically, scripturally, salvation is of the Lord. Whether you're circumcised or you're not circumcised, it doesn't matter. Only a new creature. That's what matters. Wow. That's big time. No wonder Paul was persecuted so much. He was changing everything in his day. I mean, he was going with the message of God that had not been heard. It was a new theme. Jew and Gentile, one in Christ. And no longer having to fulfill and maintain and keep the law in order to be saved. Wow. That was big. See, God places emphasis on the new creature or the new creation opposed to the outward display. That's what matters. See, you know how easy, it, you know, and again, I, I, I understand, you know, we talk about being fruit inspectors and all that. But let me tell you something. You know, you really don't know if someone's saved unless you could actually examine their heart. You, you, really, you really don't. Oh, I know we can look at their life and we can say, based on their life, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, obviously, they're, they're, they're lacking in love a little bit. Hey, by the way, there are husbands that are married that don't act like they love their wives too good. You ever see them? You ever meet one? You ever? It happens. That doesn't mean they're, no, they're not married. They just don't express their love the way they ought to be expressing their love at that time. And hopefully, God help them, they'll get that right and move forward in their life. Do you know there are some children that are part of the family that don't always act like they love mom and dad? You may have experienced that in your life from time to time with your children. They may have even said stupid things to you like this out of anger or out of frustration. I hate you! And you go... Whatever. Get out of here. That doesn't mean they're not part of the family. All I'm saying is, sometimes if we're not careful, we look around too, maybe even like some of the Judaizers. And we start going, hey, let me see this list I got right here. You have to live up to it or you're not saved. That's really not fair. That's not biblical. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't live up to certain moral standards. Obviously, the Bible carries those over and says, Hey, listen, don't go around stealing. Don't go around committing adultery. Don't go around lying. Don't go around, and he gives this list. Don't do that. If you're a child of God, then don't do those things. But those aren't the litmus test necessarily to salvation. You know what matters? A new creature. See, salvation is not a change of lifestyle, although it will bring that about. That, it will bring that about. But that's not salvation, changing life. Turning over a new leaf is not being saved. Matter of fact, salvation is a change in identity. Who we are. It's a change of who we are. It's a change of identity. In John chapter 3, verse 7... We're told Jesus says, says, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. He says that to Nicodemus, a very religious man. 
Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Wait a second. Uh, I'm already serving in the synagogue. I'm already involved in the soul winning outreach. I'm already a Sunday school teacher. I'm already, no, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born. But, but I'm already involved in the bus ministry and I'm serving children and I'm, I'm taking food to people and I'm involved in trying to call people and encourage them to be in God's house. And I'm doing all kinds of things. No, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. You want to know why? Because circumcision or uncircumcision availeth nothing. But a new creature. You've got to be born again. You need to be, be changed from within. You need a heart transformation that only the Lord Jesus Christ can perform. Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Isn't that good? He's a new creature. He's a new creation. He's a totally different person. He's not the same as he was. I'm looking at you, and you look the same, and you may even act the same, but you're not the same. Let me ask you something. If I spend a little bit of time out in the sun, and I get a beautiful tan and they put me on the cover of Sports Illustrated like they've asked me a few times before and I've always denied. I'm just so humble. Okay. Maybe not. But anyway, say I went out in the sun and I got this beautiful tan and I come to church and you say, wow, who's that? You wouldn't say, who's that? You'd go, hey, that's the preacher. He's got a tan. Because a tan doesn't change who I am. You know, all those things we see on the outside, that's not really who we are sometimes. But see, what God is concerned more about is that new man, that new creature, that inward person. I guess, for the sake of time, I'm going to jump to some of this. I just want want to just touch on this real quickly, because this is what the Apostle Paul is really talking about. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we like to look at things, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, a horse and a cart and all that stuff. I don't think that might not be a horse. That might be a donkey. I don't know. But anyway, a horse and a cart. You know, here, here it is pulling this, uh, this cart, you know. And we'll say words like, we'll say, don't get the cart before the horse. Yeah, the horse, we'll say. All right? Let me correct you, brother. So anyway, um, <laughs> I love to correct the brethren. But anyway, the horse before the cart. You, gotta get, you can't have the cart before the horse. That's what we say. So what we have here, though, watch this now, because the horse and the cart represent something here. Let me show you what they represent. The horse represents a changed heart then. This is what God's primarily concerned about. This is what comes first, a changed heart. You know, that changed heart begins with salvation. When you trust Christ, you are born again, the Bible says. You become a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Man, that heart changes with it. There's a different outlook. There's a different priority. There's a different thought process. Oh, wait a second now. I didn't say everything else in your life changed, but something inside changed because you, the new creature now, you're a new creation now. And I don't care whether you uh, think of it from that perspective or not. That's exactly how God sees you and how God views you. You aren't the same as you were. You're not even remotely close to what you were. You are a totally different person because of the supernatural work of God in your life. A regeneration work. Changed heart. And then, of course, the cart. The cart represents a changed life. Because with a changed heart, will come a changed life as we yield to 
Christ, as we surrender to the Lord. Now listen, you, you could be, just like I said, there are some children in the home who are part of the family, but boy, they don't always act like they're too happy to be part of the family. And there are some husbands that don't always act like they love their wives too much. And there are wives that don't act like they love their husbands too much. Right, ladies? Whew. Hey, listen, it's life. That doesn't mean they're any less married. You can be saved and you can... I mean, I, okay, go ahead. Cast the darts, do whatever you like. But the fact is, you could be saved and not really living like it. Acting like it. Now, that, that's just... I'm sorry, that, that, that's a biblical perspective, not mine. If I wanted my perspective, I would say to you today, if you aren't doing church three times a week, if you aren't giving your tithes and your offerings faithfully, if you aren't out soul winning, if you aren't this and you aren't that, then you can't possibly be saved. Because if you were really saved... That's what I'd like to be able to say. But then again, I don't think I would. Because you know what? If I had that standard for you, that means it would be the same standard I got. Do you know I'm really happy that God, although He wants me to be holy, although God desires that I live a separated life unto Him, I'm so glad that God's grace abounds in my life. I'm so glad when I mess up, God doesn't go, oh, you're cut off, no more heaven. Boy, am I glad that's not the case. Now wait, who decides what cuts you off then? Who would decide what sin's big enough? Which one offends God enough to get rid of your salvation or to lose it? Thank God we don't lose anything God gives us that way. It is a gift of God. It's eternal life. Therefore, it's everlasting. You can't lose something that's everlasting. But the cart stands for that changed life. Now, if you're a child of God today, as I said already, and as the Word of God made very clear, you are a new creature, a new creation. You're not who you used to be. And you know what God's response is to you and I today as a result of that? It's simply this. Start acting like who you are. Quit acting like who you aren't anymore. And act like who you are. A child of God. That's his point. What's he saying? First, get it right. This is not going to work. Well, yeah, well, it works good. First, get your... The changed heart. Work on your heart. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Get it right. Oh yes, if you're not saved, you better settle that because you can't be that person. You can't even follow the Lord. You can't even live the life. You can't even hope to please Jesus Christ if you're not saved. You can't do it. It's impossible. But if you're saved today, God says, this is what I'm mostly concerned about, that changed heart. This is what matters more than anything else in the world. Right here. This, the changed heart. Because then, once I get that changed heart, that changed life will start to take place. Do you know what we as believers do sometimes? We focus on this one. Because that's easier to change, really. You say, oh, no, that's really tough. No, there's elements of it that are easy to change temporarily, but not permanently. See, you can change your behavior and your attitude, you know, even pretend that your attitude's okay in front of people for a while. You can kind of make it appear as though everything's cool inside. But really, it only lasts so long. You know, you've got to realize that going to church in your own strength, 
it gets boring after a while. It gets old. Someone's going to upset you. A preacher's going to tick you off. You're going to get tired. I mean, it's going to come vacation time. You're not going to want to tithe and give like you ought to. You're going to say, well, that, you know, if I'm not in church, I'm just not going to give. You didn't hear that, did you? It is summertime. You're going on vacation. You know what you ought to still take out top of the list? Your tithes and offerings. You say, this, this ain't a money sermon, but I'm throwing it in for free. Because you know what I found out? You know what I found out? You, you, you rob God and you owe the... You don't, don't, don't owe anybody. Owe anybody but God. <laughs> owe anybody but God, okay? Don't rob him. Okay, so I'm just trying to save you some heartache. I'm going on vacation knowing that God's going to get his. I ain't worrying about what's going to happen so God can take it out of my hide. And you say, God, don't work that way. We're under grace. Okay. So anyway, moving on. <laughs> Change life. Change life. That comes second. Well, I'll, I'll teach Sunday school, preacher. Uh, what about, hey, God's going, okay, that's good, but I'm, I'm a little more concerned about this one. Changed heart. I'm just kind of curious, where do you stand with me? How much time do you spend with me in the Word of God? How much time do you spend with me on your knees? How much time do you, do you spend praising me? How much time, uh, you know, I mean, I'm looking for a changed heart. What's your attitude toward the people of God? What's your attitude toward your pastor and the leadership? What's your attitude toward, toward this world and toward society? What's your attitude toward sin? I'm a little worried about this one right here. This is the one that matters. That's the biggie. Oh, anybody can teach a class. You, and I said it, didn't I? Anybody can teach a class. Hey, I'm not, I'm not, listen to me. Uh, listen, uh, you, anybody can pastor a church if they, they, they do the right things. But God's not as concerned about doing the right things as he is being the right person. See, in the end, when you stand before God, you've you got to understand something. You're judged here first. This is where the judgment starts, right here at the heart. You've got a bad ad towards your husband or your wife. You've got bitterness stored up because they said something, did something you didn't appreciate, and now all of a sudden you've just got an attitude toward them. You better get this straight, friend. I don't care how much you come to church. I don't care how much you read your Bible and pray. You ain't getting close, any closer to heaven than the man on the moon. Let me tell you something. You better get a changed heart. It starts right here. Then God's concerned about the second part, and that's this right here, the changed life. It starts with the heart and ends with the life. It doesn't go the life, then the heart. And that's what Paul the Apostle is trying to get across to the Galatians. That's what he was trying to get across to the Judaizers. That's what he was trying to make uh, all of Rome and Asia Minor and all the other places in the world understand that God is a God that saves by grace through faith, that the first work that he does is in the heart and then the life. Not the life, then the heart. And that's why Jew and Gentile could come together as one. And that's why the law was not necessary for salvation, because the heart is what mattered. And then the life. I wonder today, how's your heart? How's your heart? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, he says. You get in the cart before the horse. You get it. If you're, if you're not careful, as all believers, we all, if we're not careful, we get this idea that because I do this, this, and this, I'm spiritual, and I'm right with God. Boy, I feel sorry for those people that don't come to church all the time. <laughs> oh, not because you feel sorry that they're missing out on the things of Christ, but almost like, <laughs> I feel sorry that they're not like me, knowing the things of God. You know who you remind God of? 
what's that? The parable, not the parable, but the the um, publican and the sinner. The sinner just says, "Woe is me." The publican goes, "I'm pretty spiritual." If only all men were like me, Lord. The church would be a better place. We get that attitude. You know what we did, really? If we were honest, if we're not careful, we just put the cart before the horse. And we made our life more important than our heart. God's not as concerned about that. You may not be able to go out soul winning. Maybe your legs don't work right. Maybe you just don't have the health to do that. Only you and God know that. I can't judge that. And you could be just as right or more so than the guy that's walking down the street, passing out a track, knocking on the doors. Because, see, God knows your heart. God knows your real desire. And that's what we need to focus on. We need to focus in our own life. Hey, I'm a pastor. If there are Sunday school teachers that aren't measuring up to the standard that's been outlined, the requirements that have been outlined according to the, to the church requirement, then listen, you need to be put on the carpet. You need to be dressed and dealt with. Because, listen, whether you're working down at McDonald's, whether you're working in the school system, wherever you're working, there are some requirements that you as an employee, you as someone that's in charge and has responsibilities, has to measure up to a standard. Guess what? There's some of those around here. And someone says, well, that's being legalistic. No, it isn't. It's being commonsensical. (laughs) Makes sense. Okay. Okay, let, let me just ask you this. Stand up, would you, brother? This guy's in our youth group. He's going off to camp. Brother Cavanaugh and his wife, they only come to church on Sunday morning to teach their Sunday school class. They're always missing Sunday night and Wednesday night. Boy, they love the Lord, though. And they'll show up from time to time to go on a pass out or maybe knock a door here and there. But overall, they're, they're not really found. But he's going to teach this young man how to be a good, good, good Bible-believing Christian. It's okay. Go ahead, Mr. and Ms. Cavanaugh. You only have to show up once in a while. You don't really have any standard or requirement whatsoever. That's all right because we're under grace. We understand that. Just do as you please. It's between you and God. Who cares? It's just going to either cause this young man to sink or swim. So, wait a second. I think as a pastor, I have a responsibility to protect that young man. Just like I think our authorities have a, a responsibility to protect our children in schools or out in the... Uh, in the I, I'm glad there are police officers that have some authority to take care of problems. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I hope we don't lose that. But the fact is, is that I want to think that my children are safe in the streets. I want to know that there's somebody that's take, lived up to a standard, that they've gone through some classes, that they've done some things that make them qualified to deal with problems and to handle situations. Amen. You may be seated. That doesn't make... The government legalistic, it makes them wise. And you know what? That's what the Christian faith's about too. There's some things we do. Choir members, we have some requirements. Why? Because we want you to look and act right. Because we ha- you're representing the Lord Jesus Christ and you're representing yourself and you're representing your pastor and your church. And listen, people that are lost need to see that there's a difference. Not just hear about it, but see it in our lives. And if you're going to take a place of responsibility, then... The freedoms, you lose your freedoms. There's more, there's more sacrifice. It's just the way it is. I don't care what you believe about your president today, but let me tell you something. That guy's not free to do whatever he wants. He may act like he is sometimes, and you may think he does, but let me tell you something. I'll tell you what, his time is not his own, I'll guarantee you that. That, guy, that guy's life is... <laughs> I, I can't imagine the schedule he keeps. 
Because with responsibility comes some sacrifice. That guy's working. I'm telling you, whether or not you like how he's working or where it's getting to, he's working. And I want my president to work. And I want our Sunday school teachers to work. And our choir members. And everybody else to do the right things. But never, ever, 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 ever think for a moment that what you do is more important than who you are. Who you are is what really matters to God. Do not get the cart before the horse. And that will keep us humble. And that will keep us seeing people at a place where we can help them and encourage them instead of looking down on them now. Because there's no place for that in the Christian life. Because if Jesus looked down on me, where would I be? And the truth is, he could have easily done that and been justified. But he didn't. And boy, I can't for a moment be tempted to do, this, do that to someone else. If I'll keep the horse, the changed heart, before the cart, the changed life, and I'll understand what's vitally important, not circumcision or uncircumcision, but a new creature. Right there. That's the emphasis. And when that gets straight, the rest of it falls into place. God help us with that. Today, are you saved? Do you know Christ is your Savior? If you died, I mean, could you say without a shadow of a doubt, I know I'm on my way to heaven? Not because I've been in church my whole life, not because I've done this, this, or that, but because simply the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. I put my faith and trust in Him a long time ago. I can point to the time, the place. I know that God did a saving, supernatural work in my heart. And if you are a child of God today, you have confidence that heaven's your home and you're in His family. How's your heart? How's your heart? Will you allow your life evaluated? Will you you be willing to evaluate your life for just a few moments today and understand maybe there's a heart issue. See, that's how I know when things aren't right. I look at my life and I go, wow, i got to deal with some things. Get my heart right so the rest falls into place. What do you need to take care of today in your life? What is it in your heart that needs to be addressed? What attitude, spirit, outlook needs to be squelched? Or enhanced. God help us today. If you're lost, get it settled today before you leave. In just a moment, the music will play. You come forward. You say forward? Yeah. He wasn't ashamed of you. Don't be ashamed of him. Just come on up. Just deal with it. Nobody in here is going to be upset with you. Matter of fact, be happy for you. Get it settled. Come forward. Someone's take a Bible and show you how you can be saved. Just that's, that won't take long. Obviously, if you come forward, you already know you need it. Just a matter of just nailing down what the promise of God's are. His promises are. And if you're a child of God, the altars are open. Maybe we need to do some heart business today. Maybe we just need to say, Lord, my heart needs a change. I've neglected you lately. And I need you to do something supernatural and special in my heart. Not save me again, but just do something supernatural. Because my life needs to line up with you. And I'm a changed person. But sometimes I'm not acting like it. Help me, Lord. I need a heart change. Father, we come to you. We ask for your leadership today.